Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by the HOCL Association, the first trade association for the HOCL industry. HOCL is the chemical our white blood cells produce to fight infection, now available in shelf-stable form for the first time in human history. With dozens of use cases, HOCL is the next great home and commercial commodity on par with baking soda. Combining the strength of chlorine with the safety and versatility of water, HOCL will revolutionize skincare, wound care, pet care, disinfection, and usher in a new era of clean agriculture. It even works as a seed-to-sale additive for cannabis with dozens of incredible benefits. Learn more at hocla.org. My guest today is Erica Rankin. Erica is the founder of Bro Dough, a protein-infused, better-for-you, edible cookie dough. She went to school for psychology, but ended up on the path of entrepreneurship after taking a three-month backpacking trip throughout Southeast Asia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erica, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked for this conversation. Oh, me too. So take me back. Tell me about this trip to Southeast Asia and how it set you on the path towards entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So I think in 2018, I was working, doing research, a traditional nine to five job. My contract was coming to an end and I was going through this existential crisis. I wasn't happy working there. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next, if I wanted to go to school, if I wanted to travel. So I ended up quitting that job and randomly on a whim, one night I decided to book a trip to Thailand. And I booked it. I booked the flight there. I did a retreat in Thailand and I was only supposed to stay for three or four weeks. And I fell in love with it. And I actually extended my trip an additional two and a half months. And I actually missed Christmas. So I spent my Christmas in Asia, which was really interesting, a really cool experience and at my birthday as well. And my time there, I met so many people from all over the world doing all different types of things. And I guess it kind of exposed me to the entrepreneurship lifestyle because I come from a really small town. Everyone works the regular nine to five job. I never really was educated about having a business or understanding that's something that I could do. So I guess meeting people and learning about them and their experiences and their backgrounds and what they're doing now, like really opened my eyes. And when I got back from that trip, I sat down with myself and I decided that's what I wanted to pursue next. Oh, wow. So then what made you decide on cookie dough specifically? 
So I have always had a sweet tooth. Back in 2018, before I traveled, I actually competed in a few bodybuilding shows and I'm extremely passionate about better for you foods. And it's a growing, I guess, industry, especially in North America. Like you see more and more fun, healthier versions of your favorite treats coming to grocery stores. And I looked around and the Canadian market did not have a better for you protein cookie. And I'm a person who buys protein ice cream, protein chips, protein bars. I really love having that functional property of foods. So I decided to take cookie dough and kind of add in that functional protein component and then launched it shortly after towards the end of 2019. Oh, very cool. So what was that process like to perfect your recipes and come up with, oh yes, this is the one, this is what I want to launch with? It is an ongoing thing. I'm still to this day tweaking things. But basically, I looked at your traditional, regular, the ones that we see in a tube at the grocery store are full of sugar and usually raw eggs and bleach flour and all the stuff that kind of makes you feel icky. And I looked and saw like things that I could swap out. Like, for example, instead of bleach flour, I could use whole wheat flour and I could take the white granulated sugar out and use other sweeteners. So I just played around with the formula in my kitchen. I got feedback from family and friends. And then as the brand has evolved, I've taken feedback from my customers. And now we're working again on the formula before I launch into retail later this year. Oh, awesome. And what has that process been like for you to go from just you in your kitchen towards actually getting it into retail stores? It is a whole different game. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. There are just so many moving parts and it's just a never ending learning curve, but it's really incredible being surrounded by so many people who have gone through it and are guiding me through it. Cause it's a completely new experience for me. And every day something comes up that I didn't even think about, like you need to have all the proper specifications and certifications. And when you take a recipe that's made in a small batch size, for example, 20 quart bowl, which is like 20 pounds of product, and then you transfer that over into a larger or scaled production run, like 150 kilograms, it's going to taste a lot different. The texture is going to be different. There's so many other things that come into play. So it's a lot of trial and error of really trying to scale it up and keeping it the same. Yeah, it's been a process. <laughs> and so is there, you mentioned this entire sort of better for you ecosystem out there. And is that something you've been able to tap into? Is there a camaraderie in that community between entrepreneurs at all? Yeah, the CPG Better For You food space is incredible. I and mean, actually, a lot of the people that I've networked with has been through LinkedIn. The first person that I reached out to was Mike Fata, who's the founder of Manitoba Harvest. And he exited that company several years ago. But I have admired him and what he's built. And he's actually one of my mentors now, as well as Susie York is another one. She has Love Good Fats. But it's really awesome because I was just starting out on my journey and I was so lost, so confused. And I started basically cold calling or cold reaching like all of these different founders who have built these incredible companies and they've made the time and they've taken time to sit down with me and educate me and answer my questions. And from them, it's just been a chain reaction. Like they've introduced me to other food entrepreneurs and we've all kind of just been this little family and we just lean on each other when we need to. It's especially difficult being a solopreneur, I think. Like you have to have those people around you. Oh, I couldn't agree more. So what have been some of the most important lessons you've learned so far in your entrepreneurial journey? 
So I think one big one is done is better than perfect. I have unlearned a lot of the habits that I've grown into over the years. I'm a perfectionist and you cannot be a perfectionist when you're an entrepreneur. Nothing is going to be perfect. You just have to accept it. And it's really hard to break that habit, but it can be done. Like I remember I had everything ready to go to launch, I think towards the end of fall in 2019. And I sat on it for so long because I wanted a professional website. I really wanted like nice, fancy labels. I wanted all of these things and I just didn't have the capital for it. So I rolled up my sleeves and I did the best that I could with what I had and got really scrappy and I still wasn't happy with what it was. But I think it's important to remember that what you launch with is not going to be the end product. Like your brand or your service or whatever you're doing is going to evolve. And as you're proving your concept and increasing your revenue, you can take that and reinvest into your business and get a professional website done, get the labels looking better. Like you can add that all in after. The worst thing is launching with something that you invest a ton of money and time into and then have it flop because you don't know. You want to make sure that what you're doing, there's a need for it and people want You mentioned LinkedIn earlier and that's where I discovered your content because you do a bit of what they call building in public. You're sharing your journey, you're being vulnerable and authentic. And I'd love to know like what made you decide to start kind of building in public, so to speak, and also how has that helped you in your journey? It's really, this is such an interesting topic to me. I come from other platforms. Like I'm very familiar with Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn was something that I just never even touched until I think late summer of last year. So I've been on there for about a year now, but it got to a point. I only resorted to LinkedIn because I was going through it. I wasn't getting anywhere and my wheels were spinning and I was so confused. And again, like I didn't have anyone to talk to and I felt really lonely So I went on LinkedIn and I started connecting with people and my feed was just full of wins, which is great. I love to see the wins, but I felt really discouraged. Like I was scrolling down and I'd see, oh, uh, this company fundraised X amount of dollars. This company closed five accounts. This company, like there's all these incredible things happening and everything was crashing down on me. My world was crumbling. I was second guessing everything. I had Some people talk negatively about my brand and my vision and weren't on the same page as me and not having anyone around me, it really messed with my head because I'm the one who has to get myself up out of bed and go to the kitchen and make it and pack it and market it and do all the things. I started having conversations with other founders and I was learning more and more about their struggles and what was going wrong in their world. And I like sat down with myself and I was like, why aren't these people talking about this? We all share these problems at every stage. It doesn't matter if you are day one or day 100, you have struggles, nothing goes smoothly. So I decided to basically just document everything, even on the days where I genuinely just want to hide and like lie in bed. I took out my camera and I just recorded how I was feeling and then just collected all of these little memories, like good and bad, and then share them with everyone. And I guess that really resonated with a lot of people because many are not comfortable being vulnerable on social media. And it's actually been one of my greatest strengths, I think. And that's why I've grown like my LinkedIn. I think I'm at almost 20,000 connections. And I started with 12 and people want to relate to your content and people want to see that. It's great to see the successes, but I think it's also important to have the failures as well. Oh, I totally agree. It's, and I definitely felt the same way in terms of for years, just LinkedIn was like a, 
almost like a necessary evil. It's just like, oh, okay, if you're if you want to have a job or be in the business world, like you have to have a LinkedIn. I know definitely like getting out of the army, it was like you must go and get a LinkedIn. I already had one, but I hadn't paid much attention to it, and still didn't until some probably around the same time as you. Like so, over the past year or so, you started using it a little bit more to engage with people and. I definitely saw that same sort of dichotomy, right? There's like the Instagram side of LinkedIn, right? Where, yeah, it's just like, oh my God, I'm doing awesome. Here's this like really super polished, curated life of like wins and successes. And then slowly but surely, I would start to see more and more people that were just like, oh, shit is fucked up right now. Or I failed this. And people would be really super vulnerable and it would be the most authentic content I'd seen on LinkedIn and some of the most some of the the content with the highest engagement. And it's been really interesting to see that development happen because I think if I had to pick one platform that I think is the most authentic, I would actually say it's TikTok, where it's just got people breaking down the barriers and opening up. And I know there's people just openly weeping and about different things, like struggles they're going through and stuff like that. And it just really resonates with people because people like, especially over the course of the pandemic, just being like locked up at home or whatever, and you know, remote working and not having that human connection. A video has been like a really powerful way to do that. And it's been fascinating to see that, you know, rather than other platforms, follow along in that vein that LinkedIn has really been a place where that's really happened a lot more that people are like, Hey, let's open up, let's be vulnerable, let's share these uh, stories with each other. And which I think is encouraging in general, because for the most part, the business world has never been like that. It's just been like, suck it up, dog eat dog, sink or swim kind of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like LinkedIn has transformed and like evolved into this more social sharing platform versus just being like business and there's no really linkedin etiquette anymore with some of the content that i was putting out i was very on the fence like my breakdown in my car and like me discouraged and being negative and just being super transparent like i got an incredible amount of positive responses from that and messages from people all over the world there were a couple negative ones but the positive ones definitely outweighed um the negative ones and you can just see how big of an impact you can make if you're just honest open and vulnerable and it's funny that you talked about tiktok because that's literally like at the beginning of the pandemic i like did a little bit of research and tiktok is my place to market now but from the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, there was over 100 million downloads of TikTok and everyone was just sitting at home, wanted to feel some sort of connection. And that's why I kind of gravitate towards TikTok as well, because I was one of those people that downloaded the platform then because it's so candid and raw and real versus Instagram. Because as you mentioned, it's just Instagram is the the place where people usually post the sides of their lives that they want you to see. There's only one side of the coin that's shown. Oh, totally agree. And it's also been fascinating to me watching LinkedIn mature in different ways that I, I believe it surely did not intend. For years now, I've been building up my network in the cannabis industry since I had started a cannabis business solutions firm several years ago. And, and that's extended even like after I shut that down and, and went in-house for a company. And now seeing it be also become a place for the psychedelics industry, you've got a lot of these countercultural industries that are just like, Okay, we're just going to talk about everything openly on LinkedIn, even if it's like totally or quasi illegal. And I don't think the founders of LinkedIn or even the people who work there now were like, oh, let's make this a, a safe space for cannabis and whatever. But it's interesting, too, because like you try and post cannabis or psychedelic content on 
TikTok, and a lot of times that's going to get shut down or censored in some way. But there's always like the there's different like sort of code words or something like using like we from saying yes in French to spell weed so that the censors don't actually track it down or something. But yeah, it's really fascinating to watch that sort of evolution in real time because I don't think we've fully experienced that before unless you're talking about like major shifts that the platform did. So I was in college when Facebook came out. I was at Notre Dame and we were probably in the first like 50 or 100 schools that got it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then a few years later, they're like, okay, high school students can have it. And I was like, oh, seriously? And then it was like, oh, everyone can have it. And I was like, oh, seriously? It was like this nice little like ecosystem for like young adults and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like your your grandparents are on it, like looking at your <laughs> drunk photos from college or something. You're like, oh, shit, what are we doing here? But, so it's been really cool to see that like platform users actually fundamentally reshape like how it's going. And I hear that's even going on 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 Instagram to some degree, like Gen Z is a little more, like, oh, fuck this. We're just going to put memes on here. We're going to load it up with just other stuff that was not their traditional. Oh, here's my amazing like three course meal I went to at, you know, some fancy restaurant last night. It's let's get a little less polished. Let's be a little more real. Yeah, totally. And I think Instagram is trying to copy TikTok in a way with the reels. It's like very interesting though, because I could post something on TikTok and the way that the algorithm works, like my audience is primarily like young kids. And then I take the same content and I put it on Instagram and it gets an older audience and I don't get the same responses. So it's it's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Obviously, pretty much every platform is just, like, oh, TikTok blew up. So let's make some version of TikTok on our own platform and different companies have been able to do it a little better. It seems like Instagram like Reels is finally slightly getting it together uh, a little bit more uh, than, than it was in the first place. But yeah, it's really interesting because we're, we are at a point now where everyone is basically on every platform, right? There's, and especially, I often find people saying, oh, I can't go on TikTok, like that's for children or something. It's like a billion people on there. Like everyone is on there, right? There's, uh, what did I discover the other day? There's like air fryer TikTok, right? Like literally every type of any interest you can imagine, like there's a TikTok for it and you can go and find your niche and find people who are just like super into one thing and you can build an audience off that. It's really quite remarkable. Yeah, no, it's so true. The algorithm will basically figure out what you like and there are dads on there, there's moms on there, there's kids on there. Like it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And I saw a video actually, I think it was a TikTok of a wife comparing her like for you page, like her homepage of all these videos that she enjoys. And then her husband and she like looked at his page and hers was like all of these recipes and stuff and like cooking. And then his is like pretty much all like landscaping, like cutting grass and like gardening. And there's literally something for everyone. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I would definitely, I would say before I discovered TikTok, I, I thought that the Spotify algorithm was probably the best algorithm I'd ever come across. Just like the Discover Weekly and different things that they would like here, like you'd probably like this and you'd be like, holy shit, I yeah. love all the, and so it's been like a great way to find new music. And then you go on TikTok, when you go in with a dry account, like a brand new account at first, it's just going to show you like the absolute most popular stuff of, oh, here's millions of likes or whatever. And, but then pretty quickly, like you hit, you watch a few videos or you hit or engage a few times. And then all of a sudden before you hit, it's just going to put tons of stuff in front of you. That's just, oh yeah, yes. Give me more of this. This totally resonates. And then it's just, you're then like 
into your own little enclave in your for you page. And it's just, oh my gosh, this is totally made for me. And it gets to a point almost and there's like a more spiritual person in terms of thinking like, oh, everything happens for a reason or something like that. It's, you start going on TikTok and you're just like, oh man, this is just like the universe communicating with me. Like, oh, I, they're just shoving me. This algorithm is just shoving all these videos in front of me that's like really resonating and causing me to think differently about my life. And, and I've even seen people on there that, that they get pretty far out there that are like, this TikTok is an alien technology to do such and such to control the minds or influence like the course of human events and stuff. And it is pretty incredible for the just the sheer democratization of mm -hmm. the human experience, right? Like it's essentially like the ability to hand anyone a megaphone where it's just like, oh, hey, you used to have to be like fully connected in the world to actually make a difference or become rich or, or provide for yourself, whatever. And now it's just, oh, you can just do whatever that resonates with people on TikTok and grow a large following and turn that into a business and whatever you want and fully enabling like influencer culture, both, both influencers as individuals and then influencers as business owners like yourself yeah no for sure i totally get what you mean and it's yeah the for you page like the videos are crafted so to you and what you like and it's such a time suck sometimes it's like bright out right like after dinner and then <laughs> you're in the dark like on your couch on your phone <laughs> the sun's going down it's yeah it's a blessing and a curse i think Oh, totally. Yeah. You just wake up, you just come out of it like three hours later and you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And I'm like, what did I even just watch? So you talked a little bit earlier about some mentors and, and reaching out to people and beyond like LinkedIn and everything, like how else have you been finding mentors and advisors throughout your So a lot of it has been through LinkedIn, I would say a good portion of them. And then I also joined like an accelerator program locally based out of Toronto from York University. And I have mentors through that but yeah honestly mainly through linkedin and i've had some pretty incredible like ceos reach out to me and i've had calls with them like the president of jameson like wellness like vitamins i talked to him the new ceo of smart suites all of these incredible people who are later in the game and they're just opening my eyes to an industry that i'm so new to but i think if i had any advice for new founders like for me, I wish that someone told me this, don't be scared. I was so hard on myself and I felt like such a small fish in a big pond. And I didn't think people would take the time to acknowledge me or reply to my messages, but that's not the case at all. I think as business owners, you have a lot of empathy and you can understand what someone is going through when they're just starting out on their journey. It's really scary. It's very confusing at times. We get that. Even today now, I have people who are just starting out and reaching out to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Of course, I would love to help you. And a little goes a long way. And everyone, it's like a cycle. Like you just give back when you can. Oh, definitely. It's the best way to go. Yeah. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite? Favorite failure? Yeah. So I think for me, like I'm very stubborn. There are many skills and like habits that I've had to unlearn as I've become a business owner. And for nine months, I was doing everything myself. Like I would go to the kitchen. I would go there for probably six or seven hours nonstop, no breaks. And make as many cookie dough containers as I possibly could to the point where my hands would be bleeding from screwing on lids. I'm not kidding. And I, I realized that I needed help and I got burnt out. And I, my friend's like, why don't I help you? Why don't I go to the kitchen with you? 
And uh, so he came with me and we ended up doing double the amount in half the amount of time. And I was like, why did I wait so long to get help? Because I was just so stubborn and I didn't want to let go of certain parts of my business because it's your baby, right? You like, you want to, you're going to screw on the lid the best. You're going to make the best product. You're going to market it the best. Like you, no one's going to do it better than you. But in order to grow, you can't do that forever. You can't hold on to every aspect of the business. So I'm slowly learning to let go of certain parts in order to grow. And I understand that's what I need to do for the business. I think being open to asking for help is something that I really struggled with. Oh, yeah, that ability to delegate is really how it gets you you really hit that next level of success is that, okay, like the business can run without me. And when you're a solopreneur, it's so hard when you've taken on absolutely everything at the start to then figure out, okay, what, what can I actually release? What do I like doing the least? Even being honest about that, that you have to actually face the fact that, yeah, you might love being a business owner, but there's probably things that you hate doing. And often it's those things that you really resist doing. And so then it's like, okay, that's where you need to focus on to actually go and, and get help before anything else happens. Yeah, it's so true. And like, what I love is like the, so basically there's some three categories, automate, sit down and break down your business and put it into these different sections, like automate, eliminate and delegate. And I figured out where I was wasting my time and what I could do to be more efficient, like in my everyday operations. And like the one thing that I do not enjoy is manufacturing. Like I hate it to my core now. And I will say that openly. I used to enjoy it. I would go to the kitchen, put on some music or a podcast and just do as many jars as I could. And then now it's just gotten to the point where um, I it's yeah, the kitchen that I'm in, there's no air conditioning. I've moved kitchens a bunch of times and the demand has gone up and I'm making more product and it's gotten to the point where I need to take that next step and get a manufacturer. So this was probably like the most exciting transition for me because I'm going to have someone doing that for me. And I'm also going to have someone to pick and pack and send out my order. So I'll be spending more time working on the business instead of in the business. Oh, yeah, that's where you got to be. I remember I was halfway through uh, my JD MBA, or I was about to start like the MBA portion. This was back in like 2017, I think, and Trump had gotten elected, people were thinking of dropping out of law school to go become activists. And there's just like a lot of despair. And like, hey, what can we what can we do to help? And I was in Southern California, there's tons and tons of homeless people. And I'd been homeless back in the mid 2000s. And so it was like, always like a core issue for me and that I was passionate about. And I sort of looked back and I was like, Oh, okay, I was a professional chef in the army, I really love baking, I would really love to help homeless people in some way. And what could I do? And I'm overheard this person talking about they started this thing called the Orange County Burrito Project. And essentially, they would like once a month throw parties where they'd have people come in and make shelf stable burritos and then they would go out and deliver it to the homeless community and just give them some food and i was like oh like i could figure out something to do like that and so i just racked my brain for what would be shelf stable what i what i thought people actually enjoyed pretty broadly and i came up with banana bread so i was like oh okay i'm gonna start making banana bread for homeless people and then got into researching like California's home cottage food laws. And I was like, Oh, okay, like I can make a home cottage bakery and like do all this stuff and everything. And it was very much like the, the state rules are like, fairly limited in, in terms of like, okay, you can have one non family member employee, you can't make more than $50,000. 
And so there's all these different restrictions. But then, you know, what I hadn't realized at the time was like, there's all these city restrictions. And one of where I lived was that you couldn't have anyone that didn't, that wasn't in your family work for you. So I'd be going to class like Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, I would make like a hundred mini loaves of banana bread. And at first it was like, yeah, same thing, right? Put on some music, just like rocking out and just baking all day in the kitchen and like bagging these up and going and delivering them. And then eventually it was just like, oh, like this, I saw how to scale, but I was like, oh, I legally can't do it like within this like business operation. Like I can't do it out of my house. So it was like, oh, okay, this is where I would actually hire another employee. I'd go out and do this. I would train them and I'd find a place to make it all happen. Of course, I had way too much going on with getting a JD MBA and having kids and other stuff. And so it was like, I ended up, you know, closing that down, was able to serve over a thousand people and stuff, which was like a really rewarding experience. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much things can change from when you start a business of like, oh, yes, I really want to do X and I really love doing this. And then the more you get into it, and it's just, oh, okay, I like these things, but these other things I, I definitely want to start delegating. And if you're not able to do that, then that can just be like, okay, this isn't going to be able to scale anymore if you can't actually delegate it to people. Because otherwise, yeah, like you said, you're just trapped inside the business. Yeah, no, I, I love that, by the way. That's so awesome that you did that. But you don't really think of, I guess, for me anyway, like I wasn't really thinking long term, like I launched this business, and I didn't really envision it getting much bigger. So I thought that this was like the end, like I would just continue to operate this way. And then it kept growing and growing and my orders were getting higher, but my like employee count wasn't I was still the only one working on it. I think like a lot of founders, first time founders, I'm um, just starting out, should look at the bigger picture and kind of see um, how their business can scale and set up a game plan for that. Because sometimes you don't even acknowledge what's going on and you just, you're too far into it and you don't really see what's happening and you're going to get burnt out. Oh, totally. For me, I just, I crowdfunded like a couple thousand dollars at the beginning. It was just like, okay, I'll do this. And then maybe I'll sell it like a farmer's markets or something like that. And then basically just donate a loaf for every loaf I sell or something and never was able to like actually get accepted into the farm into any of the farmer's markets. But at the same time, I was able to learn so many different lessons along the way. Once it was definitely the first time I was able to see that horizon of, oh, okay, this is the point at which I would get a like, a packaging machine and yeah. I would bring someone else in and have all these different tasks there. And you do really have to be able to see past that inflection point of, okay, what does this look like when I'm not the one doing absolutely everything? And how can I set myself up for success to be able to properly transition to that and also be able to mentally cope with someone else doing something, right? And like good help is definitely hard to find. Um, but being able to put that trust into someone else that they're going to care about it. Obviously, no one's going to care about your business as, as much as you do, but care about it to a level sufficient to get the same quality level that you have, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to like really whoever you hire, like go through your mission statement, your vision and like what the brand means to you. Don't treat them like an employee, like work together, work alongside one another and they're going to start to care not as much as you, but more. <laughs>
Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that goes by the wayside of, for a lot of companies where either they don't set that mission, they don't set that vision, or maybe some people think it's a little like woo or something that's, oh, that's not, that's not like the hard problems in a business or something. That's not like the numbers and profitability and whatever, but it is, it does govern that ability to have a cohesive vision that other people can get on board with. If you're if your company doesn't actually stand for anything or doesn't have any principles, then it's just like an amorphous blob that provides some product or surface service that people are then like, okay, cool. This is just a job, but it's not, you're not like creating like a movement or, or a culture where people are really passionate about what you're doing. And that's really where it starts. If you want to be able to bring people along in that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I'm just so excited to start building out is like a hyped team who loves what they do and has the same, I guess, vision and lifestyle and we're all on the same page. That's something I'm really looking forward to. So tell me, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to interpret the word investments as broadly as you like. Yeah. Let me think about, honestly, probably networking. It's something that I never, and this is just, this is a big thing, right? Like you can't build a business alone. And I think getting burnt out and going through the first eight or nine months of my journey of entrepreneurship alone really pushed me to start reaching out to people. And also too, like another thing that I've done is invest in myself, like full disclosure, like I started therapy. I have a business coach. I'm honestly the biggest introvert at heart. Like when I first started doing podcasts, like six or seven months ago, I would be so sick and so nauseous and I would rehearse everything and I would make them send me all the questions beforehand. And it was something that was terrifying to me. I hired a business coach. I'd gone through therapy. I'm trying to unlearn old habits of sitting on the sidelines and not really giving myself a voice. And I'm trying to be more outgoing. Like, I think honestly, the best thing that you can do, invest in yourself, whether it be your mental health or your physical health or just overall taking better care of yourself, especially throughout the pandemic. Like that has been a, a really big struggle for a lot of people. And I can see it affecting a lot of pe people negatively. So I think just staying in a routine and taking care of yourself allows you to do other things. You can be at your optimal level and perform better if your glass is full. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And there is definitely that one side of LinkedIn and Twitter as well, and some other social media, it's just all like hustle porn. And it's just grind yourself to death for your business, right? And it's actually, if you're able to step away and take care of your mental health, and you're able to do creative things on a daily basis, it's going to unlock so much more potential for you as a leader, and you as a business owner, and for your business writ large. It's oh, okay, you can actually step away from trying to spend 60, 80, 100 hours a week, just killing yourself for your business when it's what is the point of all is it to actually have a better life, then why are you destroying your life in the process? So you actually can have both and you can have that balance, whether it is I've talked to people who have a coach for 
like almost everything, right? Like they've got their business coach, their fitness coach, their nutrition coach, uh, they've got a relationship coach. And it's, and that's a, a really amazing privilege of once you get to that level, as much as we have this sort of rugged individualist propaganda bullshit in this country, which has never been true, right? No individual has really ever done much of anything on their own. It's There's always some support network, whether it is family, whether it's a coach, a therapist or whatever. And so as you go along, the more that you can invest into those types of individuals that can really help guide you along the way, your journey is going to be so much richer, so much better. You're going to have so much less stress and anxiety that there's going to be stress when you're running a business, but it doesn't have to overwhelm your life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head and yeah, the hustle culture is just so toxic. And that's one thing that I was fooled by when I first started, I would feel extremely guilty if I wasn't working all the time. And if I took a Saturday, I would get such bad anxiety. I would have to leave wherever I was. Like I would be with friends. I remember going to the beach one day and I just, I had so much anxiety. I had to leave and I couldn't even have a good time. And I think too, like when I had a conversation with my business coach, she brought up the point that you touched on is I chose this life. I wanted to be happier. I wanted to have an easier, more fulfilling life. And why am I miserable? What am I doing this for? Like, why am I doing this to myself? If I wanted this, I would have stayed at my traditional nine to five job. So yeah, I think you have to look at the bigger picture and understand that you can't go all the time. Like you need to take time off. And it's funny too, like I did take three or four days off in a row a few months ago. And cause I just was feeling very uninspired and my creative juices were running low. And the day that I got back from that, I was more productive than I have ever been ever. And if I were to work that full weekend, I probably wouldn't have gotten as much work done as I did the day that I came back from it. So. Oh, I love that. It is so powerful. And it's been fascinating to see there is, I think the rise of things like unlimited time off and things like that have then been shown to actually be counterproductive because people like just don't when there's not a set vacation policy or something in a company and people are just like oh i don't know if i can actually take this time off and so they take less time off mm -hmm. and as an entrepreneur it's even harder because especially when you're a solopreneur it's like well there's literally no one else that's going to do this if i don't do it so how could i ever stop doing it or you do say oh okay i'm going to go take vacation and then the whole time you're checking your phone or you're writing emails or you're not fully breaking away but really like it is that disconnection that's so important because then you do come back to it fresh then you're able to really see it with a new set of lenses in a lot of ways that can be much more productive for your business moving forward yeah. Yeah. And there's honestly always work to do. There's always work to do. And if exactly. you work until you have no work left, you're going to be dead because it's just never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, your reward for, you know, doing more work is just creating more work. So it's okay. you got to stop sometime. You got to be able yeah. to, to turn it off and be able to fully step away. Like you said, and like going and going on vacation and having so much anxiety that you can't enjoy the vacation. Why would you want to put yourself in that kind of situation? But that's really like what the hustle porn culture is like all about. It's just, like, no, don't stop. Get up at, you know, yeah. four in the morning and do this and that and, and kill yourself for your mission or something. And it's just really, it's not, nothing is that serious. Like just enjoy your life and find ways to make it harmonize with what you're doing in your business. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn to be successful either. That was like a huge misconception that I had about all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am not an early riser. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just like, oh, there's like some magic that happens at four or five in the morning. And that's why. Just No, it's all hours are the same. Whatever works for you. <laughs> exactly. I think that's so important in business and life. Okay. Yeah, you're going to read tons of news articles or studies or different stuff that say, oh, this is what you should eat or this is how you should do this. And really, it's okay. But that's still just looking at sort of a, an average, right? Like you're still maybe you personally only need six hours of sleep. Maybe you need nine hours of sleep, right? Maybe you need to eat this type of food. Maybe you need to eat that type of food. But really, the best thing for you is finding out exactly what works for you. And then not worrying about whether that's like the mainstream view of what is supposed to be done. Because there's so much individual variances, you just got to learn to know yourself better. And then that's going to help make you more successful in the long run. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the things that I've done is kind of listen more to my intuition and I guess be more connected with myself and figure out what works and what doesn't it's if you're forcing yourself to get into a routine that makes you miserable and that doesn't work for you you're not going to stay in that routine you're going to fall out of it and things are going to be all over the place and that's what I did um like I thought that I needed to work out at six or seven in the morning five days a week and um like take a break halfway through the day and then work and then take another break and Honestly, my days are I wake up and do some work and then I go to the gym in the middle of the day. That's what works for me. Like you don't have to follow any structured like life plan, right? <laughs> oh, couldn't agree more. So I'd love to know what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? So I really don't read. <laughs> I honestly cannot read. I listen to podcasts. So I listen to Really F by Andy Frisella. He's the founder of First Form. It's like a supplement company based out of the States. I listen to him for like business advice. For all of my food entrepreneurs, Taste Radio is a really good podcast as well. They basically have founders come on and talk about their stories and their experiences being a CPG founder. And then the other one is School of Greatness as well. Those are, I guess, the top three that I listen to. Check those out. Thank you. But if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? I don't know. Be authentic. Like that's, I think, what I stand for. And that's what I believe in. And that's the content that I put out. And I think that just summarizes me as a person, the person that I guess I've transformed into over the past few years. Oh, I love that. It's a great one. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Yeah, man, so much. <laughs> My mindset is completely evolved into this. I feel like a different person. I, I had like a really hard time with imposter syndrome that's something that I've struggled with from day one even before like I pursued entrepreneurship when I was doing bodybuilding like I always felt like wasn't good enough and didn't deserve to be where I was so that's one of the reasons why I started therapy and got a business coach because I really needed to I guess rewire my brain essentially and when I have this negative self-talk going on in my head, I counteract it with the truth. And journaling has been extremely helpful to me. Um, I have this journal that I got off of Amazon, I think, and it's called Mindful as Fuck. And basically, it's a journal and it has the same page every day. And it says, like, goals that I have, struggles that I have, things that I'm grateful for, um, 
and you just fill it in. And I've done that most of my mornings just to recognize my accomplishments, understand where I'm at and just practicing more mindfulness. I think it is so important to be present and not be caught up in the past or the future. Oh, absolutely. The power of now, right? The power of now. That's right. <laughs> so are there any quotes that you think of often or that you live your life by? Quotes. There is a quote. I don't know if a lot of people are going to like this one that I really like. Something like mediocre people don't like successful people and successful people don't like mediocre people. I think it is a true one. I don't know. I've just, I've grown and evolved as a person over the past few years and the people that I'm around, like I've really changed my circle and it has such, it, it has honestly changed my life being surrounded by people who have different values and they crave more in life and they're excited and they wake up energized and dream really big versus being around people who are complacent and they're not really moving forward and they don't really see the bigger picture. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Oh yeah, totally makes sense. Like that's sort of like, that's where the haters come from. It's like people who don't want you to be successful. It's anyone who's more successful than you is generally not going to be talking shit about you. It's always someone looking up at you. And it's just a lot of times it's, I think, mostly jealousy or insecurity around, oh, like I didn't do that. I didn't try and do that. Or I couldn't do that. It's like negative self-talk that then gets externalized as, oh, you suck. And it's just like, no, <laughs> like you're, it's like most things people say in public about other people are just projection. So it's just ignore the haters essentially. Because totally. they're just miserable people talking about their own condition, essentially. Yeah, it's so true. And like the other thing, too, is just it is like the quote, like you want to be the dumbest person in the room or whatever, however it goes. If I were to walk like with COVID, obviously, it's not happening. But if I were to walk into a room with all of these incredible CPG founders whom I admire so much and who are so knowledgeable I, it would be like, I'd be like a kid in a candy shop. Like it's just, there's so much information and knowledge and greatness that can come out of being surrounded by people who are a little bit further on their journey than you are. And that's why it's also so important to be curious and ask questions and always crave more. It's a great one. That's like a, be a great tagline for your business. Yeah. <laughs> <Always> crave more. <laughs> So what advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world? And is there any advice you think they should ignore? So if I were to go back in time and give myself advice, I, both of my parents work traditional jobs and they really believed that me going to post-secondary school was the thing that I needed to do. And they thought that if I didn't go to school, I would get into some sort of job like working at a retail store or a restaurant or something and just stay there and not really grow. But I think it's important to figure out what you want to do. Don't rush into anything. You're so young. You have so much time, even though it might not seem like it. But yeah, like I would recommend trying a bunch of things, sit down with yourself and really figure out what you like and what you don't like. You can like one thing, you can like five things, you can make a list of things. And I, I listened to Gary V too, and he talked about this. If you do something and you think you like it and you end up hating it, great, check it off the list and move on to the next thing. And then just repeat that pattern. And the great part is there's really no such thing as a failure. Like you are going to learn from those experiences and it's just going to better you and prepare you for the next thing. And I think that is the 
most essential um, component to this is just having that mindset and understanding that there is no such thing as a failure. And that's something that I wish I knew at the beginning, because there were <laughs> days where I was really down. But you know what? I'm very grateful for them because I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have them. Oh, absolutely. So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they help or inspire you? Heroes. That's like a good one too. There's a couple entrepreneurs that I really admire. Like my mentor, Mike Fata, like he's someone who has just constantly given back to the community and has been someone who's been so great to me and someone else who I really look up to that I've never had a conversation with is Michelle Romanow. She's the founder of ClearBank and she's also a judge on Dragon's Den, but she is just so raw and real. And I listen to podcasts with her and she talks about her experiences and like the scrappiness that she that she did when she first started out and she had a she launched Bytopia I think it's like Groupon several years ago and they didn't have money for marketing so they would literally be in Toronto and they would go and write on the ground in chalk advertising like they'd write Bytopia on the chalk in front of these buildings right before all of these people got out of work from their corporate offices just I think listening to founders who have or they've gone through what I'm going through um I really connect with them on a different level mm. oh definitely so tell me beyond therapy what are some of your go-to self-care strategies tactics or techniques so mindfulness is something that I've been trying to practice more and more. And I didn't understand that meditation can pretty much, it's subjective and it can be whatever you want it to be. I do have a playlist on Spotify that's basically just a bunch of different affirmations, whether it be body image or wealth or friendships or relationships. And I thought it was very silly at first, like I'm not going to lie, but I listen to these things and I either repeat them out loud or repeat them in my head, even like going for walks and just being like immersed in nature and stuff like that is something that's really helped me, whether I go for like walks at night or sometimes I go for bike rides. Um, and I think also just checking in with yourself. There were some days where Instead of me running the day, I would let the day run me and I wouldn't even realize it until I was preparing to get ready for bed. And I'm like, what did I even do today? Did I even eat today? Did I even drink water today? No, I had coffee. I had coffee and I worked all day long. So I think now I understand how important it is to ask myself how I'm doing in the middle of the day. Like, am I okay? Do I need a break? Do I need to keep working? I should go have some lunch. Like that's something that I value a lot more is just checking in with myself and taking care of myself. Oh, so important. Erica, this has been such a fun and fascinating conversation, but it does bring me to my final question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh my gosh, that is such, I've never been asked this before, man. I don't know. I've just, I've, I'm blown away by people, honestly. Like I have, even on LinkedIn, I think every week I have a founder from a different company send me product for free, which I think is so nice and so generous. Yeah. I, this is such a tough one. There's kindness everywhere. Yeah. I don't know. Let me think about that. <laughs> Oh, take your time. I think overall, just people believing in me who have never even tried my product. Like that is something that is just 
completely mind-blowing to me. Like when I got on LinkedIn, even on like different social platforms, I didn't really believe in myself or what I was doing. Again, like I had that major imposter syndrome going on and was very discouraged. And the more content that I was putting out, I had people messaging me again from like all over the world. And yeah, just like basically thanking me and appreciating what I'm doing. And I honestly have never thought that I had a big impact until I started having people reach out to me. Mm. Powerful. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I've had a really great time. So today's episode was brought to you by the HOCL Association. If you're an HOCL business owner or looking to join the industry, visit hocla.org to learn more and book your free consultation today. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Mm -hmm.